saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies. Loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. These days, there are a handful of ways that people discover ska or find their way back to the genre. One common way is through Araniva ska dance videos, which are enormously popular on TikTok and Instagram. Today, we bring on Araniva to talk about her videos, but also dig into her history growing up in El Salvador, discovering ska, and playing punk rock accordion. Aaron, you like to dance, right? Oh yeah, I'm the best dancer. I like to dance too, but I'm definitely not as good of a dancer as our guest this week. No, no. I think I think she's the best ska dancer out there. I think both of us would benefit from some ska dance lessons. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Maybe that can be a tier on our Patreon. Somebody could pay for us to take dance lessons. <laughs> Will you take dance lessons with me, Aaron? Yes. That's if people sign up for our special dance tier, we'll definitely do it. And then we'll post videos of us dancing. I think it was in 2019 you uh you were in a hub city stompers video hard place to be do you remember that yes can you tell me a little bit about that were you friends with the band at that point yeah i've been going to their shows for a long 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 time and one time i made a video like one of the first few like viral videos that i have and i included one of their songs and that's how they, I started to say hi and shows but yeah we we always like see each other from places we never talked or had a friendship but after the video, we started to say hi and stuff like that. And then they invited me for the video. Was the video you're talking about is the one where you did uh, you danced to Skinhead Boy? That one that was viral, like in 2016, I believe, yes. Yeah, yeah. I saw that one too, yeah. So that was one of your first viral videos, huh? The the Your video dancing to Hub City Stompers, Skinhead Boy? It was three songs. I don't remember specifically. It was a Northern Soul song. A, a ska song and something else I can remember. It was like a three-song video. Oh, okay. Interesting. Were you, um, at that point, trying to make a, a dancing channel? Or was this 
because I think you were online initially to do different things, right? Yeah, I wanted to create a platform because I I worked for somebody who was like online brand strategies and I knew that there was like a big opportunity to make money doing something that you absolutely loved. And I was like thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And I originally wanted to do fashion. That's what I, I always started with the intention of creating an audience. And so were you thinking about making your own clothes or were you uh, just wanting to showcase other styles? No, I wanted to do my own designs. The video the, that had Hump City Snopper's song in it and the other two songs, was that part of an era where you were building an audience for fashion still at that point? Mm, I don't remember exactly. I think, <laughs> I think I started to give classes pretty early because I realized you need a lot of money to start a clothing brand that is ethical. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, sure. You were already transitioning into teaching dance classes at that point. Yes. I mean, I tried. I, I lost my job the first time and I tried to do the clothes thing. But no, it's, it's, it, I was not ready. It's, it's like a lot of money. You can do it for cheap, but it's not going to be ethical. Yeah. So, okay, so you made this video in 2020 about the your top 10 ska songs, songs that are meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. I would love to kind of go through them because they're, they're an interesting collection of songs. And I'd like to hear a little bit about each of them, um, you know, each artist. Well, first one I think is most people probably know is Desmond Decker's King of Ska. I think that's, that's a, we can all agree that's a classic, classic ska song. For sure. Yeah, it's one of uh, Decker's also few ska songs. I think it's not his strength, but I think it does it very well. Um, I think that uh, that song was special to me because, again, it's one of the first songs that I started to see a bunch of views on on YouTube at the time. And I don't know. I just like, I really like the song. <laughs> no specific reason. The next song on your list was uh, Vieja Esquina is the band. And the song is De La Vieja Escuela. They're a band from Peru, right? And they're kind of a more recent band. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the band and, and why this song is uh, meaningful to you. In Peruvian culture, uh, doing the, the high-pitched guitar is very common because of chicha. And they did a really interesting take in all of that album that they have. <laughs> Sorry, all of that album that they have. I think it's called, the album is called Green Moon. I don't remember. But... The, the whole album features that pitch guitar, but now they do it in a very traditional uh, ska style, very refreshed. I just thought it was something so interesting. It really blew my mind at the time that I discovered them. The next one you have is uh, Scalariac with their song Pide Perdon. Yeah, that's a classic from my teenage years. It's like that band is very, very iconic. It's my favorite song of them. And they're they're from Spain, correct? They are from Basque Country, yes. Spain territory. Gotcha. Then we have uh, the Sibelius. The Sibelius. That's another classic. Everybody knows the song. Either you love it or you hate it, but it's like a very popular song. Now this is another a band from Spain, and this is a little. They're a little bit of an older band. Yes, they're from the Barcelona, Spain territory. If you say like from Spain, they will get offended. Oh, okay. Spaniard um, territory, Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, Inspector Seven is your next uh, with Butterfingers. That's um, members uh, members that would go on to start Hub City Stompers. This is their earlier band. Mm-hmm. I love that song. It's my favorite song of them of that time. I think it's the best of Inspector Seven. Whenever they were at their early days. Did you um, discover Inspector Seven through Hub City Stompers? No, separately they play in New York all the time. Oh, that's right. Because Inspector Seven. They kind of would uh, get back together, and, and they were together for a while again. Because originally they broke up and then formed 
some of the members Fort Humstidi, but then they kind of got back together too, and they were happening at the same time. Yeah, they are still happening. Yeah. Uh, Prince Buster, One Step Beyond. Classic. <laughs> Classic, yeah. Definitely uh, the original version of One Step Beyond deserves deserves the credit for being an incredible song. Madness's version, I think, is probably more known globally, but this, you know, Prince Buster's version is very good. Yeah, I like Prince Buster because it's a little bit more danceable than the other one. The other one is not so fun if you're dancing it in a room by yourself. I mean, it's funny if you were like in a, in a show live with full of people. Laurel Aiken with Sally Brown. Uh, again, another song people probably know from the Bad Manners cover, mm-hmm. but uh, the original is a, is a classic, of course. Yes. It, it's Laurel Aiken, whenever it was introduced to me, I was mind blown that, it, that there was music from specific that era, not specifically that era, because that's more of a recent album compared to his older work. But it's like the first time that I was exposed to something in Spanish at the time no, that I discovered them. Mm. I don't overplay, but I really like the song. Not the best recording, though. Not the best sound. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the only problem with some of that earlier stuff. The next up, you have Bad Manners, uh, Just a Feeling. Love Bad Manners. One of my favorite two-tone bands. Probably the only one I actually enjoy, like, genuinely. And that's my favorite song by Bad Manners. What is it about them that you feel like uh, is better than the other two-tone bands? I think it's because the time that it reached me, it was just at the right time. And then the other stuff, I was probably either too picky already because I didn't get it started with two-tone. I got it started with punk. And in El Salvador, I didn't really like a lot of ska or, unless it was like really, really hard and fast or more punk. But it more like that that like whole uh, two-tone British 80s era. I just never connected with it. I don't know what it is. It just, I mean, it seems tacky to me. And I don't mean this as an insult because there's a lot of things that are super tacky and I love. But I don't know. I just never connected. <laughs> I mean, it's tackiness is part of why it's so cool. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was unapologetic. Uh, the, the, so your number one song on the list was uh, by a band called Akats. Oh my God, yes. I'm in love with the singer. He's my teenage crush. <laughs> How do you pronounce the song? It's Essa Tika? Yes, it's a cover of, um, I don't remember. I think I Won't Let You Go mm-hmm. by the Blues Busters. It's a take on it, but it's called Essa Chica. They changed the whole word. Uh-huh. What did you like as a teenager so much about the lead singer? He's very pretty. He's very cute. (laughs) (laughs) He was everybody's crush. The dude is just very, very good looking. All right. Would we say this band's from Spain or how would we distinguish? Yeah, they're they're from Basque Country, Spaniard territory. Okay. Very cool. I mean, this, it's a this is a great little list of song for people. I mean, you know, it's not necessarily the list that I think most people would expect from a top ten scholar. So I, that's why I really like this list and wanted to run through it with you. It is very personal. It, like for example, most of the bands that I listened to in Spanish were by white people, and Laurel Aiken was one of the few, few black people singing in Spanish that I saw, and I was like, this is so cool. And he's also doing it like he's like a legend from traditional. Sky and um, Calypso and all of the things that he did early days. When I was like 22, I was on a flight to the UK with Laura Lakin and I didn't know who he was yet. <laughs> and the other guys in, in Link 80 all recognized him and, and were like, dude, that's Laura Lakin. And I was like, who? <laughs> and, every, and I was like, go talk to him. Go get a picture with him. And everybody's like, oh, I'm too scared. And I was like, well, I would do it, but 
I'd be fronting because I didn't know who he was yet at the time. <laughs> he looked great though. He was decked out. Looked exactly like he looks in the pictures. Yeah, he looks really cool. I wonder if he was playing some shows. Yeah, must have been. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your dance, but I, I, I have an interesting quote I want to read to you and then kind of get your take on. Uh, are you familiar with the band Hop Along, the kind of an indie rock band? No, never heard of it. Um, I've, I found this interview with the singer, um, Frances uh, Kinlan. She was interviewed for um, like a Boston mag- uh, newspaper, and she brought up you and your videos. <laughs> and I just think like her take on why she likes your videos, I, I think is a good jumping off point to talk about where you're coming from. So she says, um, there's a dancer called Araniva who is a social dancer on Instagram. She dances a lot. She's just promoting social dance. She came up in my recommended search on Instagram that random uh, other people recommend, recommended. She doesn't do any wild moves. She just wants people to become aware of the benefits of social dancing. She dances to awesome underground rock and neo-soul neo and cumbia and reggae. It's cool. I really like it. I'm basically trying to mimic her moves in that video. At one point, she said, you will feel more comfortable on the dance floor if you focus less on judging others. She's totally right. In the end, that's essentially why we're all scared of dancing. We ourselves judge and laugh at others, and then we think the same thing is happening to us. If you care less about what other people are doing in that sense, then you won't feel so foolish yourself. That's a really nice quote. I like this girl. (laughs) (laughs) So nice. She gets it. I initially think that... I had a lot of success since since I started. I never really struggled with it, mm-hmm. with the growing. Like as soon as I joined a new platform, I started to grow, and I think people really find it refreshing to see somebody doing something less strict than the professional dancers that we see on Instagram that've been dancing since they were five. Like I look at those girls and I'm like, I feel like I won't even try because I'm never gonna be that good. They've been doing it since they're children. And I think that's also why it just grew really fast because people was like, oh, she can do it. I can do it. There's also been a whole thing where there's been dance competition shows over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. It's fascinating to watch like the, the capability of people who apply themselves, but it does sort of put dance in this category as like an elite sport rather than something that you can do in your room to enjoy yourself. Yeah, it is an elite sport. It's insane. But it's very intimidating, I feel like. So your approach to dance has always been about um, enjoyment and accessibility, right? Yes. Now, some of that came because you, you didn't start dancing till your 20s, but I think it's it goes beyond that too, right? There's like a, a philosophy that you subscribe to. Myself, no, I'm a social dancer. That's where I learn to dance, and that's where I apply most of my dancing. So I don't think I can showcase more than that. Like I've been trying to change my strategies a little bit because now I basically I it's a business now, and I have to do take it for what it is. So a lot of what I do has changed, but I try to like the people that I target is people who either want to stay active at home or want to be social dancers. What exactly? Just let's break it down really quick for the listener. What what do you mean by social dancer? Oh, somebody who dances at an actual party. Okay. Like no people who is performing, no people who is uh, teaching specifically, but somebody who is like 
an active social dancer. So if you actually want to go to a, a show or a dance and go in there and dance and have a good time, that's basically what we're talking about. Like, enjoy the act of dance in public. Yeah, most people that I teach to is either that or people who wants to like connect with their roots, their culture. A lot of Latinx people who has been torn apart by being born and living here and wants to reconnect. I get a lot of people looking for that. There's also, I feel like, an element of, um, on one hand, you're, you um, want to educate people about the origins and history of the, the subculture and the dances. But I also feel like you're creative and you're making up dances and you're kind of encouraging other people to do the same thing. Well, like, for instance, like uh, you had like a creative ska dance challenge and I saw you do like one, like the fish dance and the monkey dances. That's how I interpret it. Creative dance, like you're, these aren't like traditional, traditional ska dances. You're like showing how you can kind of be creative. That's part of my creative uh, ska course. So I have different types of courses because whenever I have like in-person classes, I also have different categories of classes. I have a class that is very... Um, historical and ska is called the evolution of ska and we go through the whole process of only ska and we don't talk about the music but how ska has transformed changed fusion through the years and how the social dance has been affected by these changes uh, not because it's important how we relate through dance as, as a society is part of our social activities uh, that's like more of his focus on history. Then I have another class who is very technical. For example, Northern Soul is like all about the technicalities of the dance. And then I have another class, which is the creative dance. Sometimes I do it with go-go or with ska. Uh, those challenges are part of the course as the homeworks to inspire people to put themselves out there. It's also like a marketing strategy for me. Because <laughs> if you have to post about it, you're like, hey, I'm taking this course by this person, you know? Mm-hmm. And you got to be honest. Like this, it's, it's part of what it is. And yeah, that, that class focuses on you expressing your personality through dance. A lot of people got mad at me whenever I put out that course and they were like, just go to YouTube, there's a tutorial from the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> but my course goes way beyond the whole, uh, did you know that that video specifically is teaching white people how to dance ska, but Jamaicans did not dance like that at the beginning. And also my, my courses touches on that. The downtown style, the, the uptown style is what we see in that video of this is ska, something like that. So in this class specifically, we explore like how to project your personality. We go over the, if you want to look more masculine, regardless if you're a woman, man, or non-binary person, you can check, you can try this out. If you want to look more feminine or delicate, you can try this out. My dancing is very masculine, not because I identify as a man, just because I really enjoy like the aggressiveness of it. And now we go through exercises on that, comparisons. Um, we go over technical a little bit, but the sky is very easy and self-explained. That's why I choose it as part of the of the creative one because you don't really need to like, nail moves specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even the original uptown, you know, the original dances are pretty easy. They're not complicated dances. Nineteen mm-hmm, sixties mm-hmm. is. One of my favorite eras because it's so inclusive. If you think about it, the 50s were very competitive with the Lindy Hop and all the jumping and performative dancing. And in the 60s, the dancers chilled out a lot. Yes, they were crazy and there was these go-go crazy dancers, but they were not 
jumping inside out like people was with the Lindy Hops and all of those dances on the 1950s. So it was more inclusive. And that's why I feel like it's really easy for people who's trying to build up confidence. Do you feel like the these kind of dances too are accessible for just having fun? Like just the lack of um, having to focus on hard technical moves? Yes. That's why I tell people, no, once you focus on the easiest, the easiest thing, even if you're sick of it, even if you're tired, just focus on the easiest thing. And once you get the easy one and you don't have to think about then start to add your own personality and focus on what feels genuine to you because that's another thing. A lot of the times people try to do moves that they don't feel comfortable with and you're going to feel like you're faking it. And that feeling, it's like what throws you off sometimes about dancing. Yeah, because again, back to the uh, dance competition shows, because I I've, I occasionally I take an interest and watch them. Even though they're very technical, I think with the dancers, the way they talk about them, it's so personal and emotional. And like they have like these very detailed stories that go into the dance moves they've created, mm-hmm. and they're they often like when they finish their dance, they're in tears because they're so full of emotion. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes gets glossed over the emotion that goes into dance. Yeah, especially when you're starting, you think that you need to nail it how the teacher told you, but I don't know. I feel like sometimes simpler the better. So let, I want to go back. You, you talked a little bit about your. Um, your your time growing up in El Salvador. You grew up in a home that really did not did not permit dance and you weren't interested in dance. You also weren't particularly interested in like cumbia and other dance music, right? You it was punk rock. I always say it to people because sometimes people uh, they think it's hypocrite of me that I didn't dance and now when dance became quote quote cool, now I embrace it. But if you think about it, Punk was about rejecting the mainstream media. Here in the States, you probably rejected whatever was popular at the time. And I don't know, Britney Spears, whatever was popular. And it's something normal, no? It's just that you guys had like these pop artists. We had cumbia, merengue, and salsa. So those are the things that I rejected. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. I mean, Adam and I were, we grew up in the 90s. And anything that was on the radio was bullshit. <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> well, that's very normal between kids. But now that we have a generation and something switched, especially in like between Latinx punk. And now they embrace cumbia and they embrace all forms of dance, like even reggaeton, which was the lowest in the barrel. Cumbia is interesting because not it, it has a historic story and a historic place and culture, but it's been taken on by electronic artists. It's been taken on by punk artists. So it's it's got these little directions it's taken that have like gone into different subcultures. Yeah, it's huge. As a teenager, what was the first music, first piece of music that like really resonated with you? Mm, I remember that the first album in Spanish was something that really, really influenced me because I can finally understand what they were saying. And a lot of times they were just these random CDs that one kid would give to the other one and we would pass stuff around. And this specific time I went to this, I, I never heard like something in Spanish that like opened up my hair. Everything was like, I want a generation, revelation. So when I went to a, this like market, street market in San Salvador, where you can buy like rock CDs and stuff like that. It's like rock stand. The guy looked like he was a metalhead. So you knew that he was going to have something similar to what you were looking for. And he sold me two albums. 
not two CDs. One was an outcome, the world, which all sounded great, but I didn't understand shit. And then the other one, was, <laughs> um, oh, no, NSA La Santa Familia by Non Serbium. And again, they're from Madrid, Spain. And that's the album that I was like, oh my God, what is this? What are they talking about? So I think like I resonated a lot with uh, bands from Spain because that's what, what we got over there at the time. We didn't really get a lot of like Mexican bands. I don't remember any Mexican bands or from South America. So that's the album that I remember, first album that I remember being like, what is this? Like, what are they talking about? Why are they talking about working class and better rights for the workers? Like, you know, things like that. Yeah. I, I saw one video where you talked about, um, yeah, I think you were talking about listening to your uncle's rock albums and you were changing your dress and then walking around and some kids were started to call you La Punk. Yeah, that was like in high school. That was like how, but by then I already was like listening to punk, that music that people passed around. But yeah, that's when I discovered when people started telling me that. And I was like, La Punk, La Punk, what the fuck is that? And I didn't even know how to write it. I had to ask <laughs> because I didn't even have internet at the time. But that's when I discovered, like, oh, it's just this thing called like this. And so you, um, did you start to meet other punks? And I'm curious what the what that scene looked like. Yeah, I remember that there was like these kids that were, you know, like in the early 2000s, there was like a big, huge explosion on MTV mm-hmm. with punk bands, and punk became very commercial. Yeah, you can hate mm-hmm. it, you can love it, but. It was what it was. And that created that a bunch of kids, me included, were like, oh, like that looks so cool. I'm going to dress like that. Oh, I like that hair. I like this. I like that. And that's where I came in. Again, like the, my uncle already liked metal and stuff like that. And I remember the first time I saw a punk is when we were doing one of those like, walks. for Whenever sometimes there's like a civic event, like, Independence Days in El Salvador, all the kids from school, they march on the streets. And I remember the first time I saw a punk was this kid. I remember he became Christian later, but <laughs> Danger, they used to call him Danger. He, was, he looked so cool. He had a mohawk and he had these stripy shirts. I still remember what he was wearing. He had a black and white striped shirt and plate pants. And he was laughing at us. He was pointing at us and laughing at us. And all the kids were like, ew, who is this weirdo? And I was like, oh my God, he looks so cool. He looks like one of those guys on the TV. <laughs> and I, remember, I saw that he used to get there so I started working by where they were where they, where this, I saw this kid sitting down and that's how I met them I met him and then all the kids from my school at the time we were allowed to like hang out on the streets then there was a law that made it illegal for young people to meet in corners so we could not do that anymore before it was illegal, what were you doing? Were you just hanging out and like listening to music? Yeah, just hanging out, listening to music, right in in this um it was these cement tables were right in front of somebody's house. So he would always play music and would just sit there. The older ones sometimes would drink. At the time I was scared of drinking. But I knew <laughs> people smoked, drank. It wasn't like the most mm, positive scene, but it was what it was at the time. What happened when uh, it became illegal? Oh, yeah, we, it was, like, not allowed to do not, Right after that was happening, that's when I left the country because violence was going a little bit crazy. Mm. I mean, the reason why they did not allow people to 
stand in public places, especially young people, is because gangs, they were doing this law called Manodura, where just they just made it illegal for gangs or people to meet. And since you don't know who is a gangster or not, they made it illegal for any young person to meet in public spaces, which is insane, but I don't know what happens. What are young people supposed to do? Stay in their house all day? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just weird. Very. Was there live shows? Was there bands and stuff like that? Yes, there was a lot of bands, but none of them recorded. It was just random projects that people had here and there. Now a few bands have recorded, but none of those bands exist anymore. Can you remember any of them or was there any that you liked? Yes, there was a band called Errores. Some of them survived and they made another band nowadays. It's called Alta Traición. And they even play one of their old songs from that time in specific, from those specific years. But they're not the same people, just one person. Uh, there was another band called Resistencia Hoy and really cheesy names like that. <laughs> uh, so cheesy. Were these punk bands or what kind of music was it? Oh, it was Oi, street punk. Yeah. Punk. It was not nothing that different, trust me. But it was fun. At the time, it was fun. Okay, so... Were these bands speaking about like political stuff happening at the time? It's very genetic things that everybody talks about. Like everybody hates the government. Everybody hates their parents at a certain point. Mm, drinking, stuff like that. Nothing like this specific song that I'm telling you. It's a song uh, dedicated to this guy who was a drunkster. And they made him a song like just like that. Nothing really that will change nobody's lives. <laughs> I see. <laughs> But there was a lot of authentic, like, uh, emotion and anger and stuff co- kind of coming through these songs. Yes, definitely. Salvador had, like, a big punk scene at the time. And it still has it. I think it has calmed down a little bit. But there's a there's a huge scene, like, and people don't realize. There's, like, skinhead scenes. At some point, there was, like, a psychobilly, a little psychobilly group of people, or at least people interested on. Like, we always have uh, a variety of interest for subcultures and a lot of metal heads and stuff like that so before you moved to new york uh was there any ska did you hear about ska at all in el salvador there's a band called there's a couple i even have like a salvadorian ska recommendation video too but it's the same bands that happened on the early 2000s and i don't feel like a lot evolved i don't know what happened because i haven't lived there in 17 years so a lot of things have changed Mm, but then some of them are still active. There was Adesivo, and I remember listening to them, and I liked it because it was very, very punk. You can, you would not uh, think like it is a ska, but it's just really, really fast. It's like third wave, really fast underground. Mm-hmm. Punk, you know, you you will you will not relate that to Prince Buster and think, oh yeah, <laughs> it's just so far away. It, it, it's nice and I like it, but it's really, really far away from the things that I discovered later that I was interested in dancing. When you went to shows, whether it was punk or these kind of ska punk bands, how did people dance? Oh, I didn't go to ska shows. I usually went to punk shows. How are you dancing at the punk shows? Oh, I was not dancing. Maybe it's like pogo dancing, Islam dancing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what guys call it. <laughs> no, no moshing then? Yeah, yeah. Moshing, pogo. Slam dancing, I don't have different names. But yeah, only yeah. that, nothing <laughs> strictly dance. I never dance at all, nothing. Sure. So you moved to New York when you were 17, is that correct? Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about wh- why you left and, and why you chose New York? Well, I didn't choose to. I was brought here by my family. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, so I was not really in my place to move. I was in a really bad situation. I had just had a miscarriage and I was 17 and I was with this older dude who was into drugs and he was also a punk and it was not a good influence for me. So my family couldn't find a way to tear us apart or like like in a, in a civil way to separate us. So they just decided to bring me here with my sister and my dad. Wow. Oh, okay. New York is where my family was already settled. So they're actually in Long Island. So that's where I first arrived. Uh, I've heard you talk a little bit about how um, at some point in New York, you realized or you or you thought a little bit about your identity as a as a Latina, which was not something you really thought about before. I'm curious, like, yeah, what, what was the process of coming to that understanding? So now, because globalization and internet and everybody's a little bit more close together, people in El Salvador and Latin America, they have more present the concept of Latinidad. But in my in my generation, in my days, people did not have a concept of Latino or Latinx or Latina. That's something that it's a U.S. thing. It's, it was not very common back in the days, especially in El Salvador. You were either Salvadorian or not. Like, that was... And when I came here, I realized that the other punk kids did not see me the same. They saw me as this random thing that has arrived. And I understood the curiosity, but at the same time, I feel a little bit like out of place. And then I discovered, I connected with other Salvadorians who brought me more in a, to the Latino immigrant punk scene. And that's how I met like my, a lot of my now friends. That's how I started like, really integrating myself. So when you when you first came to New York, you were still interested in punk. What, what did you kind of discover punk initially? Well, in El Salvador. No, I mean um, in New York, like when you started looking for punk in New York. I went to high school because I was like not very young, but they were like, well, you're not going to work. You have to learn English, go back to school. And they made me go back one year. And I had to do three years of high school here. So, mm. you know how kids, they move from other countries and they struggle with fitting in and they don't know what to do. I was like, where are the punks? Where are the weirdos? Where are the, <laughs> where are the, where's my people? And I found them. They were, there was a lot of emo kids seen and just gothic kids in the school that I arrived in Long Island and also when I lived in Connecticut. So in that sense, I never struggled. I just found the weirdos, you know, like you see somebody weird, they look at you, back at you and somehow you know that you can go sit down with them at lunch. Mm, so that part was easy. And that's what, all the time that I hang out with these white kids because I never had a lot of uh, Hispanic or Latino friends in high school. I felt like really out of place. Only until I discovered the Latino punk scene, that's when I was like, oh, so here is my people. What were some of the bands at that time in the in the Latino punk scene in, uh, in New York? Hmm... A lot of bands that don't exist anymore. Again, like little projects here and there. A lot of people that used to be friends with them, and I'm not, I'm not so cool anymore. But let me think about it. There was this band that brought a lot of people together called Escarroñeros. Never recorded, never existed. It's like Dirty Ska. Dirty mm -hmm. Mexico. It's nice, though. I'm not saying dirty in a bad way. It's right. just like a lot of noise. Um, who else like from that time? Oh, yeah, bands that I don't even want to mention, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> don't even want to give them the spotlight at all. No, 
No, and there's like nice memories and nice people that I still know from that day. Now, at some point you um, were going to these shows and uh, you were getting invited to like these after parties where they were playing cumbia and stuff. And this was kind of what led you to getting into this music and dance in general? Yeah, there was this venue uh, called The Lake or The Swamp. Oh, okay, yeah. I know, I know that venue. In the, they did a lot of reggae, a lot of reggae shows at the lake. They did like thematic parties, like cumbia reggae or cumbia punk, punky reggae party. And let's yeah. say I went to see a punk band. And of course, no, it's like different things. So I went because of punk initially, but then I started realizing like, oh shit, like there's cumbia played after the show. Like what is going on in here? And I, I was still like too cool. To, to admit that I liked it and I was just resisting it there in the background. But that's how I got exposed to the whole like cumbia and sky and all, all like, you know, different styles of music. Did you ever go to any of the shows with like um, Hard Times, Frighteners, um, Forthrights at, at the lake? Yes. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. What was that like? <sighs> Frighteners was amazing life yeah it's one of the best experiences i ever had in my life like it's it was just very emotional and there's another band hard times the same people from hard times but they had another band wait the thing is right oh the far east but i think i believe oh yeah the far east yeah oh my god it's insane i don't have like the best relationships with people from that band but i gotta admit they're incredibly talented especially the front the front girl she's amazing especially live like it's really really fun i still like them though so were these dirty reggae parties and stuff like that a lot of your introduction to sort of the ska reggae rocksteady subculture yeah by the time the frighteners came in i was already like dancing and stuff like that like frighteners yeah they were a little later yeah, yeah, they they in that place in the swamp they used to do a lot of toasting, and that's how the singer of that band got discovered by just randomly toasting on those things, and everybody was like jaws dropped when he started singing because he he would never did it before. He randomly did it at one of those nights, and there was like also John Pinto toasting, amazing, talented boys as well. Um, a lot of amazing people went there. There's Creechy Dan as well, a lot. That's what I heard. I heard Dan, the, the singer for Frighteners, Dan would uh, hop up, uh, particularly on Hard Times sets, because Hard Times was primarily an instrumental band, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where he would kind of get on stage and get comfortable with that and, like you said, blow some minds. Mm-hmm. Also, the main, just like, uh, so uh, also when he was just <laughs> like playing like tracks in you know, vinyl track, just randomly parties, like stuff like that. That's how I saw it the first time. Oh, interesting. So your interest in uh, ska, reggae, rocksteady, give us a little story about how you got more interested in this music and the subculture in general, and, and including the dance of it as well. Mm, when I came to New York and I saw my Latino friends dancing at a party, you know, I was already dancing. Then you see this different people coming in and out to these parties or also we have like sound systems on the streets and then you see that black people dance is different you know i started wondering why do we dance different than these black people who are we imitating that we don't look like them and why they're dancing differently 
And I just started to get curious about why they're dancing like that. I just couldn't understand it because it was not like, you know, the swinging arms and up and down and all that goofy go-go dance that we do whenever we do a ska, like specifically traditional, what I describe as uptown style. And then I started like get curious and curious. I started asking people. I started researching. There was things that I couldn't figure it out by myself. So I had to pay for interviews. Um, so that's just, I, I was just curious on why, the whys and like, why are we swinging hands? Like, where did that come from? Like, why are we, why are we doing these dances? I mean, just, I was just curious. How did you find answers to those, uh, those questions? So, like I'm telling you, sometimes I had to take classes. I took a dance hall class with a, like a very specific person who specialized on that. And they had like a scat class. Didn't a lot, gave me a lot of clarity, but I learned a lot about dance hall. And also, <laughs> I found this video on YouTube. It's called Uptown versus Downtown or something like that. And that's the title of it. And in that video, there's a dude playing the piano and there's this student from the alpha boy school doing a dance and then he's directing they're like okay guys i'm gonna do the uptown and they started dancing a very specific way and then he's like okay let's do the downtown and then they started dancing okay the midtown so i realized like okay 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 this is the answer because they're doing exactly what i see people doing at parties separated by colors and it was really hard to contact this person his name is Mr. Sparrow Martin. Mm-hmm. And he was the band leader of the Alpha Voice at the time that they recorded the video. So I had to contact a bunch of people and I couldn't find him. Finally, I found a WhatsApp. Somebody directed me to his WhatsApp, no? And I contacted him a bunch of times. He's really old, so he's not very familiar with technology. And finally, I was able to, to have an interview with him. I paid him for the interview. And I still have that interview, by the way, recorded. He was the one that explained to me how at the beginning ska was just like a shuffle competition, very competitive, very hard to dance. So when the uptown industry of music started to see, well, there's this new dance downtown called the ska. Let's bring it uptown. But these gringos and these rich people are not going to be able to do this move. So let's simplify it. And they asked Mr. Byron Lee to make a song to create a dance craze. You know how everything became a dance craze in the 1960s? And he was the one that came up with swing your arms, shake your hips, take a dip. And it's very interpretative because you're interpreting what the lyrics are telling you. And the uptown people, they they look down upon this new dance and they call it the Chinese dance, because Mr. Byron Lee is a Chinese descent. And and there was like beef between them. All of that is super interesting, I think. So maybe not the nicest, but super interesting. Oh, yeah. That's so interesting that you you went to great lengths to get this information. You have to get it from the source. That's the thing. Yeah. You can't just assume or figure it out by yourself. You have to like ask somebody that's still alive from the source. So do you know what year this is that you're talking about when you're, when you're having this conversation with him? Uh, I think maybe 2020, I believe so. Oh, okay. So you're already doing dance online at this point. Yes. Yes. But I didn't really add a name on it. I just, so I just, at the time I just 
know that the, only the elder Jamaicans dance specifically with their feet. That's all I knew, but I didn't know like a name for it or why was the context or why was the the other video done because the video on uh, this is uh, done on YouTube where everybody has seen it and everybody takes it as a reference on how to dance ska. Mm-hmm. I knew that that video had something fishy. There was something that didn't really convince me. It's like they were selling it to white people. And a lot of people have that sense, has taken that, um, has noticed that. There's also an interview with Hepcat where one of the Hepcat guys says like, yeah, that video, that video, it's, it's not real. That's not how you really dance. Like that's like, uh, I don't remember what the dude says. I don't want to put some words in somebody else's mouth. But he basically says that that video, same thing that I'm saying, that it's basically like selling Scott to white people and tourists. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, because um, it was made by it was made by Brit, uh, British mm-hmm. show, right? Yeah, it was for it wasn't for Jamaicans, obviously. Yeah, use Jamaican people because it's exotic. But yeah, it wasn't made for them, and that became the norm. It became very iconic, and again, because it's inclusive. The other style is way too complicated for regular people. It was competitive dance. Mr. Sparrow Martin says that literally it was about who can shuffle this, who can shuffle the faster, the most aggressive, who could be the most creative. And it was very competitive dancing. When did you first start going online? So you initially, like you'd said earlier, you were thinking about building um, an online presence in order to get into fashion. So this was around what, like 2014, 2015? No, I started in 2016. Oh, okay. Um, but you shifted to dance classes? By 2000, maybe 18, I was already like making a little money and doing classes. Dance Culture by Araniva is, is the name of your... That's the, the dance class brand, right? Yes, I still... I feel weird about it, but I don't know. It's still not a LLC, so I still can change it. But right now, that's how I go. <laughs> now, you, so if you look at your dance classes now, it's like your your main categories are ska, you know, reggae, rocksteady, cumbia, and uh, northern soul in terms of dances. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell me a little bit about why that ended up kind of being? Well, th- these are the dances that I'm I'm going to do. So it's kind of like you're kind of touching on three subcultures. There's some overlap, but they're also they're distinct subcultures. Mm, I only teach the things that I actually dance in real life. All the things that you see me dancing is because I actually go to parties that play, dance, and showcase the music. And, and I think marketing-wise, or like let's say from the point of view of a business perspective, those are the things that work the best for me, especially Sky. Sky is the month. Whenever I do a Sky month is whenever I make the most money. It's, I don't know what it is, but it's a thing. And Northern Soul, I love it. It's one of the things that I dance. It's my best-selling course, my best-selling consistent course. And Cumbia, I love it. I, I can't just have one thing because otherwise I'm going to go crazy. Then there's other things that I love, like Boogaloo, but... It's really hard to sell that to people, so I don't do it that much. I also like bopping, but again, it's really monotonous and really hard to to sell it to people because at the end, like, I'm not here for the likes. Mm-hmm. Can only mm-hmm. do so much with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. A lot of people probably don't know what Boogaloo is, for instance. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a bit more 
It's a little more niche than uh, ska, Northern Soul. Even Northern Soul, I think. But Northern Soul has a very strong, uh, you know, fan base, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's not, um, Northern Soul is also very controversial, especially because I sell courses and I teach it. And these like, these British dudes are super against teaching. They say you just got to feel it and you just got to <laughs> go with the music. But whenever you're struggling, you can just be like, oh, yeah, just feel it. Like, that's like, don't learn chords in the guitar. Just pluck until something makes sense. <laughs> you have to learn tools and skills before you can feel it. You have to, they have to become second nature to you, yeah. just like with the guitar. Yeah. Some people find it really easy. Some people have that naturally, but most people don't. Sure. Even my courses, like I always tell people, uh, this is the basics. You put on your own style. You put on your own perspective, your own spin, match, mix, however you want to. This is for you to make your own every single time, like any other lens. So you, you kind of talked about how the, the, the Northern soul scene, they're, they're, there's different feelings there, but what about the ska scene? They seem pretty receptive and positive towards you. The ska, yes. I think I'm trying a couple of things and people love uh, specific visual things. Uh, people love the fashion on ska for some reason. They love it. I don't know what it is. It's very long. Yeah. Well, and, I think when you get into traditional ska and traditional ska fans, the fashion goes hand in hand. Yeah, even the other stuff, even the tacky two tone squares, the people love that. Mm -hmm. Most some of my most popular dances are on two tone. But you don't really get much negativity from. I think the ska. I feel like ska, the ska scene in general, just likes people to be putting out content about ska and, and reinforcing, you know, their love for ska. Is that your experience too? In ska, you get a couple of fanatics or haters. <sighs> the ones that are obsessed with the same classic band from forever that don't mm -hmm. want to hear anything new and refuse to open up. They're always asking for the same bands, special, madness, selected, classics. And there is the other type who hates Scott. Like the only personality trait they have is that they hate Scott. Like I get a lot of those. But I honestly, uh, it's not so bad like it used to. And there's the purest people who like ska, but they, it has to be exactly how they think it has to be. If it's third way or beyond, they consider that trash. And mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's however, whatever it, the the reason is, they get a lot of engagement. I hear what you're saying. I'd say, but but do you feel like most people, most ska fans, are just are happy with what you're doing, or is it, is it a small percentage of people that react that way? The negative, yes, is a small percentage. And there's also people who likes it. But, for example, I used to do these videos for Mexico, no? Like, hey, five Mexican Scott recommendations. And I would choose things that I like. Maybe they're not as... They, they might be a little bit traditional. I'm a little bit like that because if I'm going to dance by myself in my room, I'd rather something traditional that actually makes sense to dance than something that is very core. That what am I going to do? Run like a crazy person in my room? <laughs> <laughs> There's not yeah. much you can do by yourself with those dances. You just yeah, jump jump into the jump into the wall. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, these videos that I did, they got a lot of criticism. It's like, but where is this band that has been playing for thirty years? But where? Uh. Is this band? But where is this? And people are like, you don't know nothing. Like, where is my classic? Like, okay, I made it. I made it as okay, guys. You decide 
tell me what band I should put in the video. From all those things that people recommended me, I took the ones that people mentioned the most, people hyped the most, and then, no, in top five. I did a video with those top five, video viral, like that, no questions asked. And then there was people asking, yeah, but you just you just added the the commercial ones. Yeah, but everybody knows this. <laughs> you know, like if I'm going to do something, people are going to criticize me and I'm going to get no views. And if I'm going to do something else and I'm going to be viral and grow my page, I'd rather do the things that are going to get me the best results. Because at the end, I receive same amount of criticism. It's not bad. Like, it's not really, really bad. But there's also, like, people complaining all the time. I actually complain more with the, with the underground bands because they feel, like, underrepresented. Well, and I, f- I feel like so much of people commenting on things on the internet that, like, no matter how good something is, people will gravitate towards commenting negatively, which I find so awful about the internet. I I saw this girl. She's very famous. I don't remember her name. I think it's Erin, like, something. I don't know. Girl with spiky hair. Yeah. I, can, I, don't, I wouldn't think that girl has any flaws. She's beautiful. She doesn't hurt nobody. She's just doing her own thing. And people hates her i'm like well i think it's gonna happen regardless because before i used to feel really bad about oh yeah people probably doesn't like me because i'm i have this in my body or because i'm too short or blah 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 i don't think it's that i think anybody doesn't matter how perfect or imperfect you are you will always get it yeah yeah so I'm curious a little bit about, I know you're on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, you, you have a Facebook page. Do you feel like there's a particular platform that is like your biggest platform? Uh, TikTok is my biggest, but I mean, numbers at some point are a little bit irrelevant when you're running a business. Mm-hmm. It makes no difference. So it's not necessarily how many views you get from something. It's about how many people then decide to sign up for your classes or your Patreon or something like that? Mm-hmm. Like I thought like by the numbers that I have, I should be in another place in my life and I am not there. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it's relevant. Before I used to be very obsessed with it, with, with the numbers. And, you know, when you're growing, I always wanted 100K on Instagram. But it doesn't really make a difference. I just wanted it because I wanted it on Instagram. That's the only place that I really, really, really wanted it. Everything else is like, Grows by itself. So you prefer Instagram? Mm, I don't have a preference at the time. So then do you feel like there's a platform, maybe it doesn't get the best views, but it helps build your online dance classes and, and things the best? So for example, Facebook, they I never get made any sales from there. I don't know why. And maybe it's because a lot of people from Latin America and I have prices for somebody who lives in New York. And yeah, Facebook didn't really give me the best results, but I really like it because I can speak Spanish and make lives in Spanish. And I like it. Uh, but now they're paying per view. So that's cool. It, it <laughs> makes me want to post even more. Now I'm posting all my old content there because it's free views. TikTok, it's really, it's my biggest platform. I have like 300K something, but. People doesn't really connect with you that easily. The algorithm is does whatever it wants, whenever it wants to. And it's becoming smarter. Every time you mention or you promote, and a lot of creators complain about this, when you promote 
your brand, your business, or you talk about anything that has to do with you making money, that video will get suppressed. And I don't appreciate that. TikTok. And then YouTube, I love it just because it keeps me sharp. And YouTube, I make blogs, long videos, and I really want to get better at talking at a camera. TikTok is destroying people's capacity to speak longer than one minute. And that's going to be a problem because some of them want to jump into YouTube and they have no idea what to say after one minute. So I just feel like YouTube <laughs> is my portfolio and keeps me sharp. I love it. Sure. And Instagram is probably where most of my money comes from. I see. I'm on Instagram. I like Instagram. I, I, uh, I do not like TikTok. It's just, I don't like watching TikTok because the way the videos just scroll, 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 scroll makes me feel crazy. And I could see how as a creator, if you're just one of the many of videos that somebody scrolls past, you might not take the time to look further into what they're doing. Mm-hmm. People doesn't really connect deeply. Some people do. Mm, it's easier to filter out when people recognize your hair, for example. People who understand about my hair, they know and they either are interested or not. I'm curious if um, you have like a video or a couple videos that have been your most viewed of all times and what they would be? I have formulas that I can replicate that will always work. Okay. Mm-hmm. For example, people love the videos on three generations of ska. doesn't matter if it's about outfit, history, just dancing, um, anything. But they love the whole three waves. Their people is obsessed with the wave. <laughs> <laughs> after the video comes out the conversation and the fight about the wave is what makes creates a discussion in the comments so video gets a lot of uh, engagement um i also have um no different formulas like if you start the video with a flag of a country loves that people love seeing their their favorite band and i always take the most popular because people love their favorite bands the classic so people love to see their flag in a place represented and probably discovering that the, there's kind their country. Those videos also automatic hit. It can be in Cumbia too. I don't, I applied it in Cumbia, same formula. It's a couple of things that I do, of course, like when it comes to choosing the song and the clothes, even the clothes that I wear. But what I want is generate a discussion, not, not just like likes. Um, and there's, some specific tutorials whenever I put the tape on the floor people love that because it makes it easier you know like different formulas that I discovered through time <laughs> maybe my most videos most be most view video I don't know I don't know I don't think I count that very much <laughs> six views one time on YouTube I mean six thousand six million views on YouTube oh wow but trust me that's like not a lot of it was nice if they pay me per view at the time <laughs> oh yeah wouldn't it <laughs> the good thing is you grow your page grows and that's nice okay so um you play accordion um it's my understanding that you initially took up accordion to play cumbia but you realized that you rather dance to cumbia and so instead you ended up joining um punk band ratas and cello mm-hmm. the drummer and i were the ones that started oh okay and then my sister joined. And then we found a, a bass player. Yeah, Rata Sencelo is a project on accordion punk. And you're the accordion. Yes, I'm the accordion player. We had the options of either inviting somebody who played guitar or buying a guitar and learning from zero. And we were like, well, why are we trying to like fit this idea that we have of 
oh, why can't you just do it with whatever we have? And we just went for it. Like, it's, it's very controversial, too. But so far, it creates a lot of discussion. What's the controversy? There's no guitar. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Do you run your accordion through distortion? No. No. So just play playing it normal. I like your video the other day. You were showing uh, warming up, stretching yeah. before going on stage. I think that's something that a lot of uh, musicians don't think about <laughs> going on <laughs> going on stage. I don't know how they do it, but I don't know. Like it's it hurts. Yeah, it's important <laughs> to stretch. No, we all warm up. Like my sister warm up. Everybody warms up. We take. Take it a little bit serious. Oh, I wanted to take a step back. So, ratas, ratas and cello means rats and heat, right? Yeah. <laughs> Any story behind that band name? Mm, my sister, she also was trying to make jokes, and at the time we didn't have a name, and she kept telling my a friend of ours, "Oh yeah, we are the gatas and cello, which is cats." Yeah. And then she would like joke about it, and then my friend. Try to repeat the same joke, and he was like, "Oh yeah, because you guys are the ratas and celo." And then I texted them right there. I'm like, "Hey, like ratas and celo, like this person is joking about it. It sounds good." So <laughs> it's dirty. It's I don't know. It's just dirty and irreverent. Sure. Are you um are you part of um like a scene in New York, or are there bands that you tend to play with frequently? Mm. Not particularly. There's bands that we play, like, for example, more Prohibido or some queer bands locally. Mm -hmm. um, just, but we're, like, personally, like, we are, as people, we're part of more of the Latino punk scene and then different scenes here and there. New York is a little bit complicated in that sense. How so? Mm, there's, like, a lot of unspoken little scenes that everybody knows they're there, but they don't have, like, a label or name, just people that groups together. Like, I know if I go to a Latino punk scene, I'm going to meet know most of the people. I might not be friends with most of the people, but I know most of them. And then there's, like, the queer scene, which is anything goes, everything goes. I like that scene as well, too. Like, I would say most of our crowd is part of the queer punk scene of all colors, not even just Latino people. It's everything. What are some of the uh, the queer punk bands in New York right now? Well, there is the Dilatators. I might be saying that wrong. But the Dilatators, it's a all-women or all-trans women band. Insane. It's really, really fun. Okay, especially the front woman. It's amazing. There's also Choked Up. Again, really fun, interesting band. There's also... This, this might not be specifically my take, but... They're relevant because people enjoy that style as well. We, what about uh, the Latino punk bands who are in that scene currently? Well, there's people who have been playing forever, like Dementia Alcoholica. They've been playing forever. <laughs> some of the classics that have survived. There's like, I see here and there bands that come and go. Sometimes like, they start playing for a while. There's bands that play every weekend. But there's bands that play all the time. So I know uh, you went to Mexico last year. I don't know if you went one time or more than once. Because I was uh, watching a few videos 
I know you went to festival and there was also, um, you, you posted a video about going and finding this venue called Cultural Roots. Yeah. Was this, was this a same trip or different trips? No, same trip. Okay. So tell me a little bit about Cultural Roots and why uh, you were so struck by this venue. So I've been in Cultural Roots before, but this is the first time that I actually like made a blog on it. Mm-hmm. And it's intense, intense. Anybody who has been there, they will tell you it's very intense. It's three floors on a casona in Mexico. I don't know if you're familiar with casona, but it's basically one of those like colonial style old houses or buildings. It has three floors with a rooftop. And the party starts on Wednesday with only the rooftop, a little bit dove, like chill. Then the, on Thursday, there is two floors of music, the rooftop and the second floor. Two rooms and plus the rooftop. It's insane. Insane. And then <laughs> from Friday, Saturday, and I don't know about Sundays, there is three floors with like one, two, three, <laughs> four or five rooms of music, and they're all playing different music. Uh, usually dance hall, Afrobeat, mm, up stuff like that. Very like dancey stuff like within the dance hall spectrum but i hear that they also have like roots or um lovers rock parties and more like traditional stuff but it's insane it stinks but it's insane it's <laughs> really bad but it's like wow very raw which festival did you go to oh i went to escapix uh, what were some of the bands that played <sighs> so it was a lot of bands. I don't remember specifically the bands that I really wanted to see and I missed, by the way, was, um, what is the name of this band? I'm really bad with names, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Names and faces of people. Wait, it's called Staya Staya. They're from Argentina. I love them and I miss them. Uh, there's also like classics. Everybody complains because every, that show, the, the same classic bands play, but at the same time, People always ask for the classics. Uh, they played El Gran Silencio, which is not even a ska band, but I don't know why they included them, but it's because they play a lot of fusion music. Mm-hmm. Classic bands like Inspector. Who else played? Oh, Escarnales. was the first time I saw Escarnales live. It was amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're amazing. Who else played it? I was actually one of the The Root Boys also missed it. Classic band from Mexico. Who else? I don't remember. But there's like a lot of bands, over 30,000 people. The biggest event that I've ever been. Wow. That's that's so awesome. 30,000 people. Mm-hmm. Very insane. So you, you posted a video. I don't know if it was when you got back or right before you left, but you basically said that in preparation for this trip, you had spent two months making ska videos and you were just sick of ska. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going crazy. But... <laughs> I'm telling you, I look at my statistics and from last year, in those two months that I was doing Sky, I had like a peak in my income. But yeah, it's, it's just it's just so draining and it creatively destroys me. I don't really like doing like two, the same style for too long because it really takes a hit on me, especially creatively. I start getting annoyed about the music. I start hating it. Um, yeah. It's just too much. It's like if you ate favorite food every single day you're gonna hate it at some point yeah well and i think it's great too that you switch between genres because it helps cross-pollinate you know for the people who only listen to ska or maybe haven't you know been introduced to cumbia 
it uh, gives them an introduction to that. I think that's really great. Yeah, it also gives me a, a, a focus time. I yeah. notice that I get better results as a dancer and also as in my business, no? because I practice every single day. Once I'm, I'm in, a, in a group, I practice every single day, whatever music that I'm exploring that month. And I, um, I see really good results by the end of it. At the beginning, I start like a little stiff. I don't really feel it. But by the end of the month, I like improved in whatever rhythm I was doing. And so you, you film the videos and edit the videos all yourself, right? Yes, everything. <laughs> so it's, it's just stressing. It's, I, I'm already looking into hiring somebody at least to edit my videos. I already spoke to the person and I'm going to start maybe in April. For YouTube, no, not for my daily videos. My daily videos, I need them with me. But for YouTube, I can't. Because I do everything. Like YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, everything. How many hours a week would you say you're doing something towards, you know, all of this? Whether it's filming videos or promoting online or doing dance classes? Mm, I try to record almost every day. Not every single day, no. But every day because I go sometimes weeks without recording. But when I'm in the groove, I take maybe six videos per day. I change outfits. I do a lot of things so it doesn't look like it's the same day. And I try to record six videos per day. For you, for TikTok, I was doing three posts per day, but now it, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm down to one or two. Instagram is strictly one. And Facebook, since I'm reposting all content because now they're paying per views, I'm posting Three to four times sometimes, just because I want to make the most money that I can. Yeah. Um, then I think the most time I expect, I, I spend the curating music. Because right now that I started a new month with a new group, and now I'm doing Agogo, which in 1960s, there's a lot of different styles, but I'm doing specifically that goofy, silly dancing Agogo. Uh, most of the time I take in curating what, what to do and how to do it because now I need to I can't just dance like I started before I just danced for one minute without stopping without cuts and that gave me really great results now I have to give more value I have to give something I I want somebody to come to my page to live with something which is also a strategy strategic believe it or not Mm -hmm. if you are a reference of the person that makes you feel like oh I learned something new today people is more likely to just you as their dance instructor because they already feel like they're learning with you. Yeah, it's interesting how like they'll learn about the the five best bands, five best ska bands in Venezuela from you, and they're like, "Yes, I want this person to teach me how to dance." Like, mm-hmm. it's w- weird how those pieces of information don't necessarily seem related, but they they do connect. It builds yeah. trust. Yeah, I mean, you have to build real trust. No, that's why you have to give either like. Uh, a little tutorial fixing a common problem like in cumbia people struggles with with their hips if you create a on level on your feet with the hips you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna be easier for you to dance so if you solve real simple problems that a lot of people relate to it builds trust so most of our audience is um ska fans so i was wondering if you could uh if you could recommend a few uh cumbia artists to people who are listening okay if you are looking into either getting to Cumbia, you have to decide what style because there's so <laughs> many. It's so many. Mm, I think if you like a little bit of reggae and Cumbia together, check out El Morenito de Fuego. 
I don't know how many cumbia songs he might have because he's more of a pop artist, but he also has like um, fusion music. There is this specific song called I Do You, where he is very reggae. The song is very reggae, but it's also very cumbia at the same time. If you like classic cumbia, classic rock songs turn into cumbia, check out the cumbia queers. They do that a lot with a lot of songs. They have one Iron Maiden song. They have a oh, yeah. song. They do a lot of that crossover. So cumbia queers has a lot of uh, punk songs transform into cumbia. That's really fun. I actually, uh, I actually interviewed that band and got to see them play live. They're awesome. I love that. Yeah, I, I could not recommend that band enough. That's a great band. It's amazing, I love them. What else? Like, so if someone was interested in like more of an electronic cumbia, what, what, what's your what's your feeling on that that mm-hmm. genre? If you look, if you want like modern style of cumbia or like wepa, which is very electronic, check out the Kings del Wepa. Mm. They do their own original song, and also they have electronic takes and classic cumbias like cumbia sampoisana and stuff like that. But they have like really good. It's, it might be a little bit repetitive, but that's the style. It's just what it is. But it's called King del Huepa. Any other styles of cumbia? I mean, I guess there's like old, older cumbia. If you like accordion and you want to explore accordion into cumbia, you can check out Aniceto Molina, my favorite accordion player. He was the reason why I wanted to learn accordion. Very simple because it's very rural, but... Oh my God, the way that he plays it with the attitude. There's also Celso Piña. Celso Piña is called the Rebelde del Acordeón or the Accordion Rebel because he really experimented with new forms of playing. What thing do you see fans of third wave ska doing when they dance that they got to stop doing? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think anything. I mean, third wave ska, that dorky... A checkerboard backpack type of people. <laughs> it's a thing. In Mexico, they call them Pokemon. And it's, it's like an insult, but at the same time, everybody from Scott, it, which is my age, started like that. Maybe not like me specifically because of different conditions, but everybody who has been into Scott for a long time, everybody started like that. But now we look down upon of these bands just because they're like all over the place. Sure. I think that even the tackiness and the dorkiness of the third wave, it's part of the culture, believe it or not. Every time I have to talk about the history of Sky and I have to talk about third wave and two-tone, even if I don't like it, I have to recognize its importance. Sure. Especially third wave. It's third wave made it like explode completely. Even with second wave, it was more compartmentalized and niche. But the, the fact that it became um, huge, 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 Super, super commercial in the 90s is really what made it survive another generation. I don't think we're going to have waves anymore. Oh, for sure. We're going to have like seasons, but I don't think waves. Yeah. <laughs> so so whatever they're doing, just keep doing it. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with what, what anybody's doing. My op- personal opinion could not, cannot be applied to other people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at In Defense of Scott. 
pick up Aaron's book, In Defense of Ska, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigong, leading you by saying Ska now more than ever.